Hello and welcome to the Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Tori. Hello, Internet. And Dave. Hello, everybody. Uh, no Craig this week. He's traveling. He'll be back. Should be next week. Uh, so we start every week with good thing. Uh, Tori, what you got? I had one. I did. And Uh-oh. Busted. So, yeah. I had one and it totally slipped my mind. I would like to Can point out that I did add a channel on the Discord specifically for good things so that you can post your thing and then have it ready and be ready to go. You must have done that while I was gone because I didn't know that's what that channel was for. You typed in it. Well, and yeah. you said that is a good thing in response right. to the thing I posted. But I thought we were just posting random good things in that channel. No, I've been posting like what I intend to use ahead of time so that I have it remembered and I don't forget. Well, okay. I'm just going to grab a random one out of thin air. Um, so I've mentioned before that Terry Pratchett is my favorite author. And uh, my favorite book of his is Nation, which I think is beautiful and perfect in every way. It's um, about a young boy named uh, Mao, who he's an islander who lives on an island out in the ocean. And uh, one day while he is out uh, doing kind of his rite of passage ritual that's supposed to make him a real man in the eyes of his society. Um, he's out in his canoe and a giant wave comes, a tsunami, and he manages to keep hold of his boat and get back to his village and the village is gone. Uh, the wave has wiped out everything and everyone he knew. And later that night, in his dreams, he hears the voices of his ancestors telling him he has to survive because he's the only one left. They tell him, you are the nation. And so the book is kind of his, um, it's sort of an extended rite of passage for him as he, as he grows up and figures out what he believes and what part of his culture uh, he intends to carry on. Okay. So that's my good thing. I've, I've read it. I've read it like 15 times. I have read it once, and I don't remember most of it. That is a shame. Um, all right, Dave, what do you got? My good thing this week is a YouTube artist known as PPF. That's three letters, PPF, uh, as in poop, poop, fart. And that is actually what PPF stands for. Um, this guy remixes video game music, but I don't even want to call it remixing. But what he does is he kind of enhances them. So, first of all, he's got like 200 different instruments. If you watch his videos, he's got some really cool stuff going on. Uh, I recommend starting off with his remix of Hot Head Bop from Donkey Kong Country 2. And he actually has, I guess it's like a pot of water that he blows bubbles into to make the bubble effects from the song. It's really cool. Neat. And, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't even really want to call it a remix. It's more like this guy can get into the head of geniuses like David Wise or Yasunori Mitsuda and, you know, basically figure out what they were hearing before they programmed their music and it came out through the console. So really cool guy. Really good, uh, really good song selection and really does some justice. All right. Um, actually have some video game cover artists that I enjoy as well. My favorite being a gentleman by the name of Banjo Guy Ollie. Um, he just does what like straight. Play? What's up? What does he play? Uh, many things, uh, including a banjo. Uh, but yeah, he just does like straight up covers, but they're very good. Um, that's not my good thing. That's just relevant. Uh, my good thing is... Craig actually uh, came by and visited, uh, spent the night, and we spent a day, you know, hanging out. And one of the things that we did while he was here was we played a board game that he brought called Mystery of the Abbey. Uh, Mystery of the Abbey is basically, what if Clue was actually fun? <laughs> uh, and, yeah, it's it's like legitimately good. You, uh, you know, it's, it's done similarly to Clue in that, like, every player gets 
some portion of of the info just to start. Like, you definitely know that these however many people did not do it. And then each player has, you know, some number of those. And whenever you, like, end a turn in the same area as another player, you can ask them a question. You actually have to ask them a question. And if they answer, they have to answer truthfully to the best of their knowledge. Um, but they can choose not to answer. And then if they do answer, they get to ask you a question that you have to answer. Um, you can, once you've like narrowed down the suspects, you can go to a, a special area and uh, make a revelation, which is like the suspect was fat. And if you're correct at the end of the game, you get points. Um, the end of the game is when um, someone goes and makes a correct accusation, uh, which is this specific person did the murder. And when you do that, if anyone has that person's card and can prove that they were that that person was not the murderer, the game continues. If not, game over. Someone wins. Um, yeah, it's, it's super duper cool. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm a big fan of, you know, modern board games just in general. I never get to play them because it's just me and my wife at home. Uh, but yeah, they're super fun. Big fan. Daryl can play. Who? Your wife. Devin? Devin can play. Uh, most of the good board games are three or more people. My husband's a big fan of the Firefly board game. It's got single-player mode. I think I've mentioned that before. I haven't tried that one. Um, the one big one that I know of that has a single-player mode is the Dresden Files co-op card game, um, which I've messed around with on Tabletop Simulator on Steam. And that was fun. It helps that I'm a big fan of the Dresden Files books also. I imagine it does. Um, but yeah. I feel like that's pretty good wrap up to good thing unless someone else has anything. All right. Uh Dave, you've got 6 chapters worth of catching up to do, so catch us up. Okay. I actually took notes this time around. So, I'll start with chapter 7. Remember at the end of chapter 6, they're having a little chalkboard meeting and Kelsey's brother Marsh uh just shows up right at the end of chapter 6. So, in Chapter 7, Kelsier's brother, March, uh, you know, he just starts uh, yelling at Kelsier for killing dudes. He's not happy that uh, Marsh has just been uh, very unsympathetic toward noblemen and killing them indiscriminately. And anybody who has ever, like, smiled at a nobleman is also worthy of death in Kelsier's book. Uh, so, Marsh actually, it turned out that he used to lead the rebellion back in the day and i th i think they they kind of strongly hint at uh kelsier stealing marsh's girlfriend uh who is the woman wow i didn't even write down her name bad me but anyway uh i think it they weren't really direct about it but it seemed like they were hinting at kelsier the woman that he uh lost in the mines that was killed was actually used to be a uh, Marsh's significant other. And it is also revealed that Marsh is a seeker. And we'll find out what that is in a little bit. Okay. So after they're having their little conversation, they're leaving and they catch Vin at the door eavesdropping. And Kelsey is like, ha, classic Vin. And he gives her her very own Mistborn cloak. So he uh, starts training her. And first of all, starts training her uh in the kind of attitude that she needs to carry that you know we are the mistborn we own the mist we own the night this is our territory and most uh you know most mistborn are assumed to be nobility but i actually had kind of a question if most of the mistborn are nobility then like how come nobody knows who the mistborn are like it seems like they would kind of run into each other at parties and things and be able to recognize one another and know who Mistborn is, but... Um, I'm going to give that one a Rafo. Okay. And uh, he also teaches her not to wear any metal clothes, uh, since we've already seen from 
Pelsier in a previous chapter that uh, Mistborns have Magneto powers. You don't want to wear too much metal. Basically, the only metal that uh, you should have on you is uh, is like your coin purse. And Vin uh, actually has this earring that's kind of a memento from her mother that she wants to keep. And he says that's okay. Like, if it's actually in your body, then... They won't be able to metal bend it. Kind of like the Steel Inquisitors, like spikes in their eyes. And uh, also like the metals in your stomach. If Mistborn could just manipulate the metals within other Mistborns, then they would just yank all the metals out of their stomach and pierce their abdomens and stuff. That would be no good. Uh, then uh, Kelsier goes into the specifics about the eight basic Allomantic metals. Uh, remember, there are ten. There's the secret eleventh one that Kelsier is trying to figure out. But these are the basic eight. They all kind of, they're basically, I guess, three axes of uh, what they do. There's internal versus external, mental versus physical, and pulling versus pushing. So the internal physical metals are pewter. Uh, those people that use pewter, burn pewter, are called thugs, like uh, ham. This gives you a physical, increase your physical ability scores, strength, dexterity, constitution. So you can, you're stronger, obviously, but you can also balance a little better and you have extra hit points. But then when you extinguish your pewter, you lose a hit point. So you don't want to get like, you don't want to get down to like five hit points and then lose your extra hit points and be dead, basically. And uh, Kelsier specifically says that uh, he's seen more stupid uh, pewter burners kind of fall to that and actually die. Then you also have uh, pulling your internal physical abilities, which is tin, which is the heightened senses. You get a bonus to your spot and listen checks and smell checks and feel checks. Seen that in action before. And then the external physical, steel and iron, those are the ones that give you magneto powers. The internal mental, uh, we have bronze, which is, uh, lets you detect allomancy. That's, uh, that's actually what Marsh is. He's a seeker. And then we have copper for smokers, like, uh, clubs, where you can basically make a field around you that prevents uh, seekers from detecting your allomancy. And it also, it, it, the, the bubble that it creates has like a range, but it also makes the person, the one person that's actually burning the copper immune to the emotional allomantic metals or external mental metals, zinc and brass, uh, which allow the users to soothe or riot people's emotions. And then Jim jumps, and then Vin jumps over a wall. That's the end of chapter seven. She's like midair, like actual literal cliffhanger or wall hanger. She's just like jumping over a wall at the end of the chapter. So it's glad, I'm glad we didn't end our reading there at the end of chapter seven. Uh, I would also like to point out that if you look at the map, the map that I have, at least in the beginning of my book, it's a map of the city of Luthadel. And there are eight gates around the city and they're all... No, I don't know if made it made of these metals or just named after these eight alimantic metals. And I also noticed that the the pairs of metals, you know, the pushing versus pulling in each category, are actually adjacent to one another. Uh, I want to actually maybe like draw them out for next week and see if there's actually a connection between like all the pushing metals are they alternate push pull or whatever. So I'm gonna get, probably get into more detail. I meant to do that. Uh, this week, but I had to finish catching up on reading. So I think we can pretty, um, pretty thoroughly say that the gates are named for the metals and not necessarily made of the metals, because what would be the point of a tin gate? <laughs> you know, why not? It could be tin can be durable if it's dense. Anyway, okay. So in chapter eight, Vin lands safely in Kelsier's arms. And they wander out of uh, Luthadel, and they actually are able to see a mist wraith. Well, after after burning tin and enhancing their senses, they can actually see what it looks like. And it's got, like, a human face, and it's got, like, a giraffe face, and, like, an elephant tail, and, like, lion's legs. Like, it basically has, it's a jumble, it's an amalgamation of all the different animals that 
it's absorbed and they're not are carnivorous well they're carnivorous they're not uh predatory they are actually scavengers they kind of like pick up corpses as they go and feed on them uh and they kind of like absorb their powers or their body parts they're kind of like giant kirbys but they don't poop like they never lose any of the appendages that they pick up so they're giant kirbys that don't poop and you know, it goes into a little bit about how, you know, the Ska are afraid of the mist wraiths and they never really see them. They're kind of afraid of the idea of mist wraiths and the noblemen kind of use the idea to their advantage. Well, he, he makes this hint that, uh, that, you know, the noblemen use them for some purpose or he's like, who's to say the noblemen don't like, that's mysterious. So I'm going to have to refo on that one. And, uh, then they run into Sezed. He is a terraceman who is another race uh, separate from the nobleman in the sky, like an actual different type of being, I think. But uh, we get we learn more about him in the next couple chapters, so I'll get into that. Then Kelsier gives Finn a bag of coins so that she can alamance with, and so that she can basically like quit. And he gives her like a fair share of Camon's. Uh, the money that Kamon has made. And then we've got, uh, basically they're, they're setting up for Vin to infiltrate the noblemen at, at their parties and things. So they have to turn her into a socialite. So they're kind of doing like a, my fair lady thing so that they can have an informant on the inside. And they leave, uh, Sazed with Vin basically as her kind of guardian and tutor and chaperone and everything so he's uh he's a cool dude he's uh one of my probably my favorite character up to this point he's knows all this stuff about all these ancient uh religions that the lord ruler has tried to wipe out so he he's got kind of like this really ancient wisdom about him that kind of reminds me of Guinan from star trek the next generation but then he's also kind of like servile so he reminds me of Ham from Star Trek The Next Generation, except that he can talk. Like, if uh, Luxana Troy's attendant, Hom, could actually talk, I think he would be, like, says it. He's, like, Hom is kind of, like, sarcastic, too, but in his facial expressions. But he has a vow, has taken a vow of silence. Okay, that's the end of part one. And in part two, we start chapter nine. Uh, it's a few months into Vin's training. And, you know... Uh, Kelsier says something, so it says like a kind of really cool how kind of like the nobles social gatherings are like a, uh, kind of like a mist in themselves. And Kelsier, you know, Vane is reflecting on what Kelsier has told him that she's got to learn to, you know, infiltrate the balls and things. Says you're an al- you're a talented alamancer, but you'll need more than steel pushes to succeed against the nobility. Until you can move in their society as easily as you do in the mist, you'll be at a disadvantage. So they're kind of like their own metaphorical mist. Okay, and then Vin gets a haircut while says uh, <laughs> Ed corners her with uh, teaching her about old religions, and continues to. You know, teach her about etiquette and about social gossip and everything. And then we get into chapter 10, and this is uh, new territory. This is actually this week's chapters. And I want to actually start by rereading the italics portion of the beginning of chapter 10. And it amazes me how many nations have united behind our purpose. There are still dissenters, of course, and some kingdoms, regrettably, have fallen to the wars that I could not stop. Still, this general unity is glorious, even humbling to contemplate. I wish that the nations of mankind hadn't required such a dire threat to make them see the value of peace and cooperation. And now I'm starting to think that the italic section are actually written from the perspective of Lord Ruler, before he became Lord Ruler, when he was still gathering people together to fight the deep whatever the deepness is. We don't really get that in there yet. But, so that's my guess on, like, my updated guess on what the italics parts mean. All right, so uh, Kelsier realizes in Chapter 10 that it would be better for Vin to learn 
um, about some of the medals from the specialists rather than uh, just getting info from Kelsier. And Kelsier doesn't have time to train her on absolutely everything. So Vin goes and hangs out with Breeze and uh, it's a little bit of philosophy from him. And, you know, like if the Lord Ruler is God, then is what we're doing really good? Or is God doing something that's bad? So opposing God is the right thing. So he's kind of like lost in this little loop. And then uh, Breeze and and uh, Vin are watching uh, Pelsier come into like basically like a soup kitchen for, you know, to recruit people for the army for the revolution and Breeze shows Vin some some in-depth uh, information on how emotional allomancy works and kind of like you have different emotions and whether you uh, and I, I forget which one is pushing and which one is pulling if like the soothing is pushing or the rioting is pushing but um, uh, I can look that up real quick yeah, you can go ahead while I finish up with this chapter. So, uh, writing pulls and soothing okay. pushes. So it's like pulling it out or pushing it back down. I was sure. Thinking. Okay. All right. So whether you want to pull out the emotion that you are trying to elicit from somebody or push down the competing emotions, you kind of can more or less have reached the same effect. So uh, we have this really cool scene where Breeze has all these serving servant girls in the soup kitchen wearing different colored dresses, and all the different colors correspond to the emotions that he wants the crowd to, to feel. So, you know, the, you know, the, I forget the exact color code, but whatever, the servant girl goes out wearing a red outfit. So... The soothers and rioters know that you know they want to elicit compassion or whatever. So the pullers pull the compassion out, while the pushers, you know, kind of push the other heightened emotions down, and all to react to Kelsier's speech to try to get uh, as many people on board as possible. Um, they only get a small handful, and they're kind of running out of time and they're drawing too much attention with these little speech sessions. So kind of at a loss as to how they're going to recruit uh, the, the, as big an army as they need. And then gasp, Camon's lair has been found at the, right at the end of chapter 10. That's uh, the messenger comes up and tells Ham, Hey, check. This is what happened. All right. So chapter 11, uh, Vin and Kelsier and Ham, go to Camon's old lair and everybody's dead. Like, everybody. But not just dead. They're, like, impaled on chairs and cut in half and absolutely mutilated. And it is assumed that this is the work of a steel inquisitor. <laughs> yeah, everybody's dead, Jim. <laughs> um, so, then uh, they go out to see if maybe Camon made it out because uh, Kelsier had you know, told Camon to go out and be a beggar and kind of, like, hide out in the streets. But, oh, no, they found him, too, and made a public display of torturing him and hung him by a, a hook in his mouth. And another little little bit happens where um, Kelsier didn't want Vin to follow him, but she followed him anyway. And he turns around and gets, like, kind of angry, but then Vin soothes him. But it's like so subtle that he doesn't really notice at first. But then he's like, wait, that was pretty good. But then he says, you know, that she doesn't want to use her powers reflexively because they might get her in trouble uh, later on down the road, especially if she has to deal with uh, obligators who can detect alamancy. All right. So back uh, in the chapter 12, we have uh, Lady Valette Renault's uh, coming out party. Well, not her party, but her, you know, her uh, debut in uh, the Lord Ventures uh, big party. And they apparently have parties like every night. And so uh, Lady Valette Renault is, of course, Vin's alter ego in the noble circles. So she goes and 
she's kind of nervous at first and she's like absolutely paralyzed until she realizes that uh, people aren't really looking at the real Vin. They're looking at the dress she's wearing or the haircut or the makeup she's wearing. So she kind of realizes she might be out in the open physically, but socially she's actually hiding behind, you know, all this stuff. And so she kind of settles down. And then she eats dinner, and then some dudes ask her to dance, and she politely declines using the excuse that uh, it's her first party and she's too nervous. Then uh, then Cezad goes off to the servant dinner, and uh, then is just sitting there, and she's just looking around. She thinks the windows are pretty cool, so she climbs up onto the balcony to see the windows, and she sees some... Uh, she sees another, she sees a guy there who's kind of also hiding out and reading a book. And, you know, they have a nice little conversation. He feigns kind of interest in her just because he thinks it's what he's, what's expected of him, but really he just wants to be alone and read his book. So they kind of connect a little bit because they're both don't really care about the social aspect of the parties. And then, uh, you know, the guy, his name is, Elend? Elend? Elend. 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 Okay. So, like, Elend a generous? Yes. So, Elend, you know, he's like, yeah, I'm tired of these parties. Venture House is uh, really pretentious, and they have all their servants do all this work for basically no reason. And I'm like, this kid sounds like he's going to turn out to be Lord Venture's son. And then he's <laughs> revealed, like, two pages later to be a uh, the air of the venture house. Uh, so, has uh, Vin perhaps uh, made a new powerful ally in the House of Lord Venture? Who knows? We'll have to read and find out. All right. Um, so, you now have a solid grounding in what should be pretty much all the major characters of the book. Um, who's your favorite? Says it absolutely. He's just like the this like the snooty butler character. You gotta love that guy, like the one from the nanny. All right, I wouldn't have gone that way, but okay. What? No, no, I can see it. I can. No, see I, it. I, I can see it now. Just I, at no point have I ever compared these books to the Fran Drescher sitcom <laughs> The Nanny. No, not. I mean, not that he has exactly the same personality, but he's the same. He's kind of like he's servile, but at the same time, he's he's witty and kind of talks back a little bit. So. All right, and so, I can't unsee it. So Elantris was Fraser, and <laughs> Mistborn <laughs> is the character. nanny. Wow, we're really digging deep into the '90s sitcoms. Uh, no, when, we also have kind of like we also have kind of like a less. Uh, you know, a non-socialite joining in the ranks of the wealthy, so it is like the nanny. Right, right. <laughs> so, in Warbreaker, are you going to tie it into Fresh Prince? Yeah. I don't know. Are they shooting b-ball outside of school? Maybe. You'll see when you get there, I guess. <laughs> Has Brandon ever been asked, I mean, there well, are in guys upcoming are- novel, will there be a couple of guys that are up to no good? <laughs> Making trouble in the neighborhood. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, while we're comparing Sazed to the snooty butler, I would just like to point out that I'm a huge fan of the Jeeves books um, by P.G. Woodhouse. Um, it's kind of an older series um, about this socialite named Birdie, and he is generally the narrator, and he gets into all sorts of trouble because he's an idiot and his butler's always digging him out. And you can just tell that this butler is so sassy and sarcastic and, uh, and Bertie is oblivious. Anyway, I love those books. They're really yeah. fun. Look into them. Sounds fun. Um, so what do you have for guesses as to where this is all going? Well, I still think that I don't quite trust then uh first of all i did want to actually make a connection between vin and serene and obviously completely different personalities completely different upbringing everything but there is kind of a common thread between them and that they both kick butt but they both also 
still have a desire to be famine and and want to be desirable. So even though it's not really the focus of what they're doing, it's still part of their personality that they you know still want to be thought of as feminine, even though they're out kicking butt, which maybe I don't know, but maybe in these worlds is or our our the past of our world is kind of traditionally not a feminine thing, but so they can like kick butt but still be girls. So that's the kind of a connecting factor between the protagonists of both books. See, I actually love that Sanderson gets that right. Um, speaking, speaking as a girl and because all girls can do that, you know, all girls can, if they so desire, kick butt and still be feminine. It's, uh, it is a trait not limited to protagonists. Um, okay. uh, anything else, Dave? Um, yeah, I kind of mentioned, I'm sticking before how I think that they're actually somehow going to be able to take down Lord Ruler and then realize that he actually was doing something. Like, actually was important in keeping the world in order or keeping the dar- darkness, or the deepness, rather, from taking over the world. Oh, so that brings up a question. Have- they're gonna succeed, but but severely complicate things in their success. All right, uh, what's the deepness? It's a Cthulhu. <laughs> All right, so you please elaborate. You're, you're going with literally the character from H.P. Lovecraft, Elder God, ties into uh, the the Lovecraft universe, and then by extension the the Conan universe. Yeah, it's a perpendicularity. So, <laughs> uh, some kind of squid creature. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> well, the, uh, the stained glass windows that Vin is looking at at the ball are, you know, kind of depict the deepness as like this dark tentacly thing. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because maybe she assumes or the reader is meant to assume that it's metaphorical or that it's like, it's not real, but I, I think that it's basically going to be some kind of like big demon creature sort of thing, whether or not it literally is squid like or has tentacles. But yeah, I think it's an actual like physical creature that wants to burst out of the world and destroy it. Okay. And uh, I also have a prediction that, uh, Ellen is going to fall in love with Vin and that she's not going to reciprocate uh, or they're going to have kind of a thing and he's going to, they're going to try to get Ellen on board with the rebellion, but I don't know. I'm trying to think, would he actually join them or I th- maybe it's going to play like it seems like he's Maybe, like, Vin and Ellen will kind of run off together and, like, somehow screw over the Rebellion. I don't know. There's definitely going to be some sort of romantic tension between Ellen and Vin, but where it goes from there, I can only guess that from now. All right, let me note this in the Discord also. Romantic tension between Ellen and Vin. Got it. Okay. Uh, anything else? As far as, uh, I do also, like I said, I only know this because I listened to episode zero of the Cosmere Deep Dive podcast, but something about shards <laughs> and how maybe the Lord Ruler might, is actually a shard because they refer, call him a sliver of infinity. So yeah, something about shards. <laughs> that, that needs to be the byline for our whole podcast. I would just like to point out that I love uh, that you have compared all of the Allomantic powers to D&D stats. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... I feel like that is a fantastic way to explain the whole thing. Just, uh, (laughs) you know, keep an eye on your HP and... Oh, it gives you a bonus to your spot and you know, listen text. Like yeah. Bronze lets you cast detect magic at will, and copper yes. <laughs> copper increases your will saving throw. What do you? What? Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
And I'm then brass and zinc it. are your persuasion rolls. Yeah, so basically um, pushing emotions is diplomacy and pulling emotions is intimidate. All right. Uh, and when they were making Kelsey's character, they were like, okay, okay, okay. How do we take a bard's stats and make him cool? Because you know he's pulling all of it from charisma. You know he is. All right. Let's, let's D-Dave ourselves. Bye, Dave. Bye, Dave. All right. Uh, spoiler warning. We are now in spoiler territory. Spoilers incoming. This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. Okay. So many spoilers. So many spoilers. Uh, so yeah. The Deepness being... A big tentacly creature. Yes. Ha 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 ha. ha. <laughs> um, let's see. Some sort of romantic tension between Ellen and Vin. Aha ha 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 ha. There's an entire there, book of it. There's some tension there. There's an entire book that's like there's other stuff going on, but it's Ellen and Vin have romantic tension. Um. What else? What else do we have? Uh, da, 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 something about shards. Yes, obviously. Uh, all right. I think Dave is going so, to be. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, just that um, he's thinking about the what he called the bits in italics. You know that they're that this is the Lord Ruler, mm-hmm. and we're 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 getting to the part where we find the journal. Because we're not there yet, but... Um, it should be in the next section. Yes. So, and, uh, he's going to feel very smart, and then he's going to feel kind of dumb. Yeah. He's going to be like, I called it, and then later on... No, no, you I, didn't call it. I Did, didn't call anybody it. anybody call it, do you think? <laughs> um, I mean, there are very smart people who read these books and, like, pick up on stuff way more effectively than I ever have. Um, So, yeah. Um, So, I think Dave is really going to enjoy uh, Alamancer Jack, like, a lot. Yes, yeah, that's what I was thinking when we were talking about Sazed being the sassy butler. (laughs) Because, yes, Sazed is a sassy butler, but the 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 terrorist yeah. They have the sassy butler thing on lock. I mean... <laughs> yeah. The Terrorist in Alamancer Jack is the sassy butler. It's the guy from uh, The Nanny and uh, Tim Curry from Clue and uh, dang, who was the one in Fresh Prince? Oh, gosh. What was his character's name? name? Yeah! IMDB, don't let me down. <laughs> While you're looking that up, I just want to say, again, people need to read the Birdie and Jeeves stories. And this, once you, once you read them and you meet Jeeves, the butler, you're, oh, BBC did a, a series of it, uh, where Birdie was played by Hugh Laurie and Jeeves was Stephen Fry. If that tells you anything about the character. Oh, wow. Yes. Oh so, wow. I I don't know how that. I haven't watched that, but I need to. Oh my gosh. Uh, so All right, so the sassiest the, of sassy butlers. The butler from Fresh Prince was named Jeffrey Butler. The yes, character's yes. last name was Butler. That's kind of like in uh in Artemis Fowl, the butler's name was Butler. So yeah, it's it's all three of those characters sort of rolled up into one. And yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I have a question for you. Okay. Is Breeze a savant? I'm going to say yeah. Um, I definitely think so. It it talks several times about how he sort of does it reflexively all the time when he's talking to everybody without thinking about it. Um, and, and it also mentions he- that his, his like level of control is uh, way beyond what basically anyone else is capable of. So, yes. I also think that Breeze is a savant. 
Um, because one of the big things with, with savants isn't that they're like necessarily more powerful at burning whatever it is. It's that they tend to have a lot more control. Like, Allomancy is very on-off. Like, either you're burning it at full strength, or you're burning it at a bit above full strength by flaring, or you're just not using it at all. Like, we see that uh, most explicitly with, like, steel and iron, um, pushing and pulling metals. It's, like, they go. he goes out of his way to um, let you know that, like, it's very, very difficult to do anything besides, like, with a with a steel push, it's incredibly difficult to do anything besides just, like, fling yourself into the air as hard as you can. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there, um, because, sorry, I keep turning the microphone off every time my husband drives by on the lawnmower outside, but, <laughs> um, yes, I, I think it... Definitely is a matter of control as as to how much or how little you're pushing and pulling. Uh, when Vin first tries pulling, you know, she almost kills herself with the nail, as mm-hmm. we discussed last week. Um, but then you get to um, when you get to era two and you're learning about uh, how Wax does what he does. And I think we talked about how Wax is a savant. Yes. Also. Uh- Wax um, is actually like explicitly stated uh, to be a savant, not in the text, but in like Word of Brandon, and it's on the Coppermind uh, that Wax yes, is listed as a savant. I don't know if we talked about that or if I saw it there because I, I fell down the Coppermind rabbit hole this week a little bit uh, since I started Oathbringer. It's pretty easy um, to do. Yeah. Um, and uh, speaking of the Coppermind, um. Looking up the page on Savants, uh, I was I, I found out that uh, soul casting uh, also allows for Savants, and that's what's going on with the with the Ardents that are turning into whatever it is they soul cast. I didn't realize that. I didn't put that together until huh. I got slapped in the face with it. Right. That that is interesting. Like, it makes so much sense now that you mention it. Yeah, I just, I didn't, I I don't know, I, I sort of had it in my head that savants were exclusive to Allomancy. Yeah. But, but yeah, it, that the soul casting portion of that seems, yeah, that, that totally tracks. Um, so yeah, I believe that Breeze is a, is a savant for, was he do zinc? Brass? Brass. He's a brass savant. Um, although... You can do it subtly, and Vin does. Like, it's remarked on multiple times that Vin is a fairly subtle soother. But I think what's going on there isn't, like, the strength of her. Like, she doesn't have the control. It's that she soothes um, more subtle emotions, and, and that sort of allows her to be more subtle with it without actually, you know, being a savant and having that kind of fine control where... Um, Breeze, like, he goes, I don't know, he's sort of described as, as, you know, keeping very careful track of what the people around him are likely to be feeling and then manipulating that in subtle ways, but I feel like he's actually a lot more obvious about it, and he just has, like, the better control to make up for it. Yeah, not only is he really obvious about it, uh, but he's... Like, he has studied psychology. Like, he knows more what people are thinking and tries to intuit what they're going to feel based on... Because it it doesn't give them the ability to read minds. It just gives them the ability to control the emotions. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I, I think Breeze has made it... Um, made a study of people that that Vin hasn't. And he does talk about that when he's explaining to her how he does what he does. But you, you kind of see just how far he's taken it uh, in that scene. Okay. So but another thing I wanted to point out is that uh, Vin has been doing the, the soothing thing for a long time. Like that was the, the power that got her noticed. 
that was that was the power that she was using without knowing she was using it the most. True. And th- so she's been doing it sort of intuitively for a number of years, just with the trace metals in the water supply. And I don't know, I feel like um, if she's been doing it with so little fuel for so long, that maybe that lends to her control now that she has more of a supply and a, a consciousness of what she's doing. Maybe. Um, I would say that Vin definitely isn't a savant with no, anything. No, not a savant. Um, like, she could have been for soothing if she had, you know, more regular access to to the, you know, trace brass. Where was she getting the brass? Was it just, like, groundwater? Like, was that the most common thing in the groundwater? Or was, like... Because apparently she was getting little bits of pewter from, like, flatware and plates and what have you. Um, yeah, I, the only place they mention it is the trace metals in the food and water. So, hmm. I mean, Luthadel isn't exactly the cleanest of cities, so... <laughs> that kind of lets me, or brings me to, like... How is everyone on Scadrial not constantly getting like heavy metal poisoning? If if there's Maybe all these, that was like, one of the things that the Lord Ruler changed when he changed their biology when he moved the planet around. Maybe, I mean, well, Kelsier does actually point out that if you if you leave metals in your body, it can go bad. I'm just wondering, like with with all those trace metals in the water and enough that like Vin can build up a stock of air quotes luck um, over the course of a few days. Like how, how are people not just build, you know, building up heavy metal toxicity? That's a good question. So we've got to ask ourselves how much metal do they need for the Alamancy? Because um, when it describes the, uh, the solutions that, that the, um, that they drink to get their metals. It's just flakes of metal in, in an alcohol solution, right? Yeah, it, they, it is very, very uh, little. Yeah. When they talk about ATM, they always say it's a bead of ATM uh, and they describe the size of it a couple of times. But um, so really it's not a lot of metal, but I, I mean, there are trace metals in our water now. Um, I mean, you, you have to go and get your iron tested before you can give blood, for example. So like, like, how much metal do we consume? I don't know. Maybe we should try to get like a, a doctor yeah. on the podcast to answer questions like this. <laughs> I don't know any like people we're like that. Professional podcasters. Um, yeah. So so yeah, savants are super cool. It's a it's a very cool concept and yay. I think Breeze is one. Yes. I agree with you there. Um I think Alrianne probably also is one when we get to her. Uh, yeah. In fact, I feel like um, a lot of the soothers and rioters in the in Scadrial would would have developed savants or would have developed into savants pretty quickly, if only because it's just such a ridiculously useful power, and there's not a good reason not to just use it all the time outside of. Apparently, the nobility finds it rude to use it on each other. Yeah. But, like, you could use it on I your... I mean, there, there are definite physical side effects to, for example, the tin and um, pewter uh, being yeah. a savant in either of those. Um, tin but, goes bad. Yes. Um, but I don't know if there are any side effects to soothing and rioting. Like, physically, I don't think there are. Um Steel we see is like the specifically steel is the ability to form the uh, the steel bubble. Um, iron presumably would have something similar. Like maybe you can I don't know maybe maybe you can shift where exactly you're pulling something to. Like instead of directly toward you, you can like shift it off to the side slightly. I don't know. We haven't seen any yeah. examples. Um, it it actually is stated that seekers. Um, often become savants without being aware of it, and all it really does is give them, like, a, some extra range. Like, they can just tell where stuff is from further away, which, neat, but not super great. Um, and then being a pewter savant just 
isn't good. It's it's overall bad. You just you keep going until you die is bad. Yeah. Um so yeah. Uh savants don't necessarily get more powerful. They just get more control. Um then there's there's just regular having your metals burning, which is just normal full strength. You can flare for a like an extra burst of power. And then beyond that, the only way to sort of improve your allomancy is through hemallergy. Um, so, like, doubling up on bronze. Bronze? Yeah, bronze. Uh, lets you pierce copper clouds. Doubling up on steel lets you push harder and give you, like, that more, um, more control that you would get from being a savant without having to become a savant. Um, I don't think we see examples of other, like, doublings like that. But presumably, I don't know why you'd bother, but getting, like, double copper would protect you from double bra double bronze uh, people and maybe give you, like, a bigger copper cloud. I don't know. I don't know either. Um, did I have anything else? I felt like I had something else, but I'm blanking on it. Uh, you want to just call it here? I mean, it's been about an hour. Okay, let's just call it here. Um, so thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good night. Or day, whatever, whatever time of day it is, have one of yes. those. Have a day. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at @CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is "Traveling Made Up Continents" by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.